Hello, my name is Dan Badger, and I have the privilege of welcoming you to this episode of Words of Endearment with Bill Coker. Bill preached this sermon, His Faithfulness, Our Faithlessness, at World Gospel Church in November of 1997. The Bible reference is Romans chapter 3, verses 1 through 20. Paul shows that the Jews were entrusted with the full revelation of God. We serve a God who is unchangeable and faithful to his promises, while we are inconsistent and unfaithful. Both Jew and Christian are accountable to God. Now let's hear from Bill. You have stripped me, Paul, of everything that I thought was significant about us as the people of God. Now what's left? In fact, uh, is there anything left at all? You have destroyed our distinctive as a people of God. Some suggest that in this it's difficult to tell whether Paul is still representing his adversary with an, with an imaginary opponent or whether he's really arguing with himself. Looking at what he has done, is he saying, well, what, it, what does all of this amount to? What is the bottom line? Have I really just simply wiped out our distinctive as the people of God? Is this an argument between Jew, the, Paul the Jew and Paul the Christian? Well, we won't go so far as Dodd does to say this is obscure and feeble argument, but every commentator that I looked at uh, says this is a tremendously difficult passage to know just exactly what Paul is saying. What is the advantage of being a Jew? He says, great in every way. First of all, he says, that they are entrusted with the oracles of God. But you read the rest of the paragraph and you say, well, what's second? And what's third? Where's the rest of your argument? In fact, you have to go finally to the ninth chapter where Paul comes back to this and really elucidates further on the idea that he, he opens up here in chapter 3. And he says, For I could wish that myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, my, by race. They are Israelites, and to them belong the sonship, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belongs the patriarchs, and of their race according to the flesh is the Christ. God who rules over all, blessed be he forever. Amen. So it's really not until you come to chapters 9, 10, and 11 that Paul really develops what he starts off here in chapter 3. And uh, perhaps this is, again, typical of Paul's mind, that often he begins, and as he opens up a subject, his mind just simply trails off as he follows that subject further than perhaps he intended to do at first. What is the advantage of being a Jew? Great, great in every way. Because God has entrusted Jews with his oracles, his words. And he's not using the word law here. He's really using the word that would indicate something perhaps more akin to the promises of God. An oracle in the Greek, logia, is the idea of what is what the pronouncement of the God that you might go to some temple or shrine and, and uh, there the priest would give you some oracle of God. Here is what God is saying. When you put it in terms of the Old Testament, uh, we're, we have a tendency at this point to say, here is what God meant when he said to, uh, to, through Jeremiah, I have plans and purposes for you that you don't know anything about. My will for you is good and not, not evil. 
And so Paul says the Jews have been entrusted with the oracles of God. They have received these tremendous words of hope and promise. They have received from God the truth about man and about the destiny of men. But what if some are unfaithful? And this is really what I want you to focus on for a few minutes now. What if these people were unfaithful? Does this cancel out the faithfulness of God? Not at all, Paul says. Let God be true, though every person is false. As it, as it is written, that thou mayest be justified in thy words and prevail when thou art judged. The interesting thing, it seems to me, as I read these words, is Paul is saying to, the, to his readers, God's love is not conditioned upon your faithfulness. God's love is conditioned upon himself. And that unconditional love reaches out for man, regardless of our worth, regardless of our failings, regardless of our failures. You know, that's a tremendous word that as I, I think about again this morning, uh, there's so much in it that ought to be comforting to us and ought to be instructive to us. I thought as I read this passage earlier the week of James, the first chapter, where he talked about God as the giver of everything that gives light. He is the father of lights. And with God, there is no variableness. There is no shadow caused by turning. God is consistently God. And he doesn't fluctuate from one day to the next. We think about all of the changes in, in the last newsletter that we just published. I talk about the fact that life is changing. As Heraclitus said, the, the most uh, obvious basic thing about life is that it's changing. And it would be hard to argue with that just simply based upon our experiences, how life is changing so drastically. I, I watch Peter and Laura as they've played for us over the past couple of years. And every time they come, they're a little bit bigger and they play a little bit better. And I see the changes that are going on. And I recognize all around us that life is changing. My life is changing and yours. And is there any constant in the midst of all of this flux? Is there anything that never changes. Paul says, yes, the unchangeable thing is God himself. Though every man is unfaithful, God is faithful and God never changes. What if some are unfaithful? And he's not suggesting here, what if some Jews are, are disbelievers or unbelievers? I don't think he's talking about unbelief in this word. It's the word apostia, the negative of the idea of trust. But, but I think what he's saying here is that if every person, if some Jews, in fact, are irresponsible and they're not faithful to the covenant that God has established, what about God? Does he ever change? No, he doesn't. He's always faithful, consistently present. There is no shadow caused by change in God. I find that tremendously comforting for my life because, as I say, I notice the changes that are going on inside of myself. I see what's happening to me as a person, and I see the irreversible things that are a part of my own physical life. And I, I know that, that life is moving on and, and these things that so, so affect my life would cause me maybe to be insecure about what is my future, what is my hope, what is my situation. And to be able to turn and say that God never changes, his unconditional love is there. It's a comforting word. I find it to be a comforting word for our nation. 
I'm, I'm disturbed, as I said last Sunday, by, and I say it again today, by some of the things that are going on in our own culture. I read letters to the editor saying, oh, what is happening to our children? But at the same time, we're providing for them literature that certainly is contradictory to the best interest of a child at age 11, 12, or 13. And we say, what's happening? We look at what's happening in society with all of the pornographic stuff, whether on the Internet or, or any place else, and we say, what is happening to our culture? And, and there are so many things that cause so much distress in society. And you say, but what is happening and where are we going with all of this? And to be able for me to come into church and be here and realize that everything around us can fall and collapse, God hasn't changed. His love is consistent. His love is faithful. I think of the words of the gospel soul song, though all around my soul gives way, he still then is my hope and stay. God isn't changing. His love is there constantly and consistently there. I think those of us who are parents understand something about that. Some of us may look at our children and see disappointments in our children see things that have happened in their lives, things that may be contradictory to what we had hoped and what we had thought about them. And yet, does this really change our love? Isn't our love still consistently there? This is my daughter. This is my son. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. There is the constancy of that love. And I find it tremendously comforting. And I, I, maybe, maybe it sounds in the ears of some people as though it's, a, it's a, a failure to face up to the realities of life. But I find a place like a sanctuary tremendously comforting and consoling because I can separate myself in a quiet place like this and remember that everything may change, but God never changes. God is consistent. He is faithful. I wonder what it's like if you were a pagan raised in a, in a situation where when you went to the temple, there was total uncertainty what may be the demands of the God or the gods. As you come and realize there are 33 million of these gods and which one do you appease and what today is the situation and the circumstance. And yet you take the scriptures and go back through thousands of years and God has never altered his purpose, never altered his plan. It is constantly and consistently there. Great is God's faithfulness. And I find that a cause for each of us this morning to find not only comfort, but strength and encouragement that no matter what may be happening in our world, there is the fact that God is able to address our circumstances, to meet our needs. He is able to accomplish anything that concerns me. He is able to do more than I could ask or think. And it seems that in a world like ours, the word for us as Christians is today, not to get our eyes fixed on the circumstances that may be so tragic or may be so disturbing, but to fix our eyes upon the constant and the unchangeable God. For as I fix my eyes on him and gain the encouragement that he gives, then I am enabled to live consistently in a world which is so inconsistent. We see the faults and the errors. We see the problems and the difficulties. But God is unchanging.
Now, it's interesting to me that Paul in this passage says, does that mean, therefore, that God is going to overlook our sins? And is God unjust because, in fact, he deals with our sins and the wrath of God is upon us because of our sins? Paul says, may genoito in Greek. May it not be. God forbid. It's a strong uh, negation. It's not that way. It's not that at all. God is faithful and God is consistent. But don't misunderstand. That does not mean that therefore, because he is faithful in his love and consistent in his reaching out to us, there is not the judgment of God to fall against sin. In fact, in the remainder of this chapter, had we time, we could look at this morning. But, but let me just simply say, you'll notice that he goes on and he says, as he has said in chapters 1 and 2, we are without excuse in his presence and God is not going to wink his eye nor turn his head. He's not going to pretend that sin doesn't exist. He holds us accountable to it. And it is the love of God that holds us accountable. And you know, again, I think as a parent, I understand that very clearly because I know what it is in our home, in our family, to have raised children and say to our children, we love you, we love you incredibly much, we love you. But this is what I require of you, and this is the thing for which you're accountable. And as parents, we held our children accountable. And let me say to you, parents, if you set standards and if you do not hold your children accountable to those standards, you may think you have done them a wonderful favor and spared them of the problem. But what ultimately you have done is you have done them a terrible disservice. Because when they confront a holy God, he is not going to just simply excuse and say, oh, well. You know, it's interesting reading the newspapers today about this au pair and about what's happening now with the judge who's changed the sentence. And as I read in a, in a letter this morning, it was interesting that this girl served, what is it, 11 days more time then that baby lived totally. The baby lived 262 days, I think it is. Or it's a little bit more than that. 263 days, and she is sentenced to 279 days. Are we amazed that people are struck? And isn't the question that arises in one of the editorial writers today is what kind of a message does this send? We talk about mercy and compassion, but does mercy and compassion at this point do severe damage to justice? And we're wrestling with that now. But the one thing Paul says in this word that's so clear is that God is faithful and God is loving and there is no shadow in who he is. His character is consistently what it is. It always will be that. And though every man may prove to be irresponsible and, and disbelieving, God never changes and God is the same. And ultimately, you and I are accountable to this God who will not wink his eye nor turn his head, but he will hold us accountable to that which he has entrusted to us. So Paul says, what advantage is it to being a Jew? 
He leveled the playing ground. And if you think for a moment that that means that Paul said, there is no distinctiveness about the Jew, forget it. That's not what he said. What he said is that when it comes to accountability before God, there is no distinction. A Jew is as accountable as is a Gentile. And the idea that because I'm a member of God's people, because I'm a member of the church or I'm a member of this, that, or the other, this somehow or another gives me special status in the eyes of a holy God. Paul is saying to us, forget it. It's not true. Is there any advantage to being of the people of God? Oh, surely. Because of the people of God, to the people of God was entrusted the promises and the hopes that God spoke to his people. Never excuses our sinfulness, but always offers to us faithfully himself and his love. This week, I hope maybe you can take that with you and let it just simply be mauled over again and again. What does that mean? in terms of my circumstances, in terms of my life. It may be that this week some tragedy will strike. And in the midst of tragedy, we can look and say there is no shadow of turning with God. God is consistently and faithfully God. He loves unconditionally, and he reaches out to us faithfully. He does not spare our sins. He does not wink at our wrong. But consistently and faithfully, he touches our lives. And Lord Jesus, what a wonderful promise that is to us throughout all of the scriptures that our Heavenly Father who has made us in his image is faithful and consistent. And we know that what the Old Testament says about God is carried right on through the New Testament, Lord in your coming, in your demonstration of the love of God, and in your reaching out that men might be redeemed. Again, Lord, we see the faithfulness and the consistency of love and grace. But help us to remember in the context that which Paul has labored so strongly, so hard to communicate to the people of his day that this never gives us an excuse to live any way we want to live. But it reminds us that before a consistent and a holy God, we are accountable. And one day, we shall give an account of ourselves. Again, we give you thanks, Lord, that you have loved us and you have drawn us with cords of love to yourself. Receive our prayers. Receive us, we pray, in your name, Lord Jesus. Thank you for listening. Please send any comments to Bill and Ann by email, which you can find in the episode notes. We encourage you to pray about who you may be able to share this podcast. Tune in next week for Words of Endearment with Bill Coker.